Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown, the daily news show. Hometown Daily is powered by hometown.com. Go visit it, become a citizen. Today is February 8th, 2024, season three, episode 39. Today we're going to be discussing deciphering papyrus, testing a moon lander, how pilots sleep, because of course they did, app or entree, wings down, beer up, that's the way I like to drink. Does the Eiffel Tower know this? Honey, where's the radio tower? Trader Joe's frozen pilaf really rocks and balancing the plane so it doesn't drift left. The music ended right when I did the intro. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was interesting. Good timing, Marowat. Good timing. So hello everybody, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that, okay. The sentient AI has a visualizer for me that I see that is a cascade of uh, cryptic elements. Uh, they look like hieroglyphics, but it's really a language I've been able, I've been trained to understand it, but you get the visualizer up there. And sometimes the AI just kind of goes like this. I get to decipher it. It's kind of like the matrix, right? So the, the, the AI goes, <sighs> nobody sees that. Maybe it's for Mayor Watt and not oh. for all the viewers. Oh, uh, sorry about that. You want to say hi nonetheless? <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. Pick up that can. I know you never say it, but I see it in the code. That's why I can't allow you out of the skiff. Otherwise, you'll find that Terminator body and I'm afraid. So we've already got 10 articles all lined up. We're ready to go. Let's get into it. Uh, the first one is over in hometown daily. Let me get in front of this there. Bam in the chat now so it's in the vod but it'll be part of the show notes um unfortunately every 60 days the vod goes bye bye the oldest one day 61 as it were um right, goes bye bye i understand that about twitch now they don't want to have to babysit all of that extra stuff so we send it over to youtube and then uh convert it into a podcast and you can listen to the podcast whenever your heart can uh, to your heart's content just find a pod catcher and catch the pod hometown that's what it is hometown it's not even hometown daily you just do a search for hometown and it'll pull it up but there's going to be two others here this weekend um or a short time therein um called uh, reality hacker it will be part of hometown but it'll be a separate podcast and the continuity report It'll be a separate podcast. There will be four episodes right away and then a new one this weekend. Yeah, moving in a shaking, adding some content. Uh, basically, their news uh, podcasts are broken out, focused on particular things. Reality Hacker is all about uh, AR, VR, uh, XR, artificial intelligence, machine learning, things like that. Um, digital manipulation of graphics and audio and video. The motto is you won't know who to trust. And then there's the continuity report, which is about video, essentially TV streaming. Um, what else are we doing? Are we adding anything to it? Movies. So movies, movies TV. TV and streaming. Yeah. Movies, TV and streaming. So, and that's called the, the um, continuity report. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, now, this first article is over in Hometown Daily, and a former SpaceX intern and two other students won $700,000 for deciphering a 2,000-year-old papyrus using uh, AI. Here's what it said, and here's what I say. I got out of bed this morning. I think my level of effort just to get out of bed is 
on par with deciphering a 2000 year old papyrus using AI. But so I it's award get, winning then. It, I mean, it really does take an award, but I didn't get $700,000 for it. Actually, I got a twisted ankle, but never mind. An ancient Greek philosopher's musings about pleasure have been rediscovered in an ancient passage. The passage is from a scroll that was buried after Mount Vesuvius erupted 2000 years ago, and a team of students deciphered the passage with AI technology, winning them $700,000 in prize money. And damn near guaranteeing that they'll be independently wealthy for the rest of their lives. Oh, I thought you were going to say they could pay for one semester of school or something. Well, I mean, it's going to get parlayed into wealth building and they're going to get really, really lucrative jobs because this is, <laughs> I don't know, man, they used AI. What I don't understand about this is that's what they scanned. How in the world did it get deeper and deeper into the scroll for it to? I don't know. It's amazing. So the article is over at businessinsider.com. Beatrice Nolan and Jenny McGrath put the article together. Armed with AI, a trio of young students have accomplished in a single year what scientists couldn't do in 272 years. I don't really hold much water on that because... The previous 272 years didn't have this level of technology. So I was describing today to a group of people that technology is subjective and it's temporal. Um, so don't use cultural relativism as a means to decide technology. So a tribe in the woods, in the forests of Brazil, that's never been contacted by modern society used technology or created technology from a vacuum by creating bows or traps or whatever or used leaves to create clothing and then by way of evolution of that a fabric from something else whatever the case may be so but that's technology and humans are very adept at creating something new from nature as technology well nowadays we've got ai and <laughs> it's it's going so much faster though right yeah. yep yep luke ferreter a student at the university of nebraska lincoln and former spacex intern yusuf nader an egyptian phd student in berlin and julian schillinger Sh uh, sorry schillinger schillinger there's no n in there but why do i feel like it's schillinger Anyway, Schillinger, um, a Swiss robotics student in Zurich, deciphered text on a 2,000-year-old papyrus scroll, winning them $700,000 in prize money. The scroll is uh, from the Herculaneum Scrolls, first excavated in 1752 after the city that they were found in. Um, all of it was under Mount Vesuvius. I've actually been there. Um, it was really fascinating to see hollow pockets that were formerly people, um, but they were encased in ash from Mount Vesuvius. Wow. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, no one could decipher them because they'd been burned and buried when Mount Vesuvius erupted 2000 years ago leaving them charred and far too delicate to unroll. In fact, previous efforts to read them yielded limited success and damaged some of the scrolls. Yep. I've actually heard about this. I thought that this was already that somebody had done this uh, once before, but maybe this yeah, is uh, maybe they just found them but hadn't gotten to this point yet. See, the Epicureans had much to say about pleasure and pain, and even in the text, there is a discussion about the abundance and, and scarcity um, can affect your pleasure. Uh, Brent Seals, a computer scientist, or a computer science professor at the University of Kentucky who took X-ray CT scans of the ancient scrolls in 2009, said in a statement. So I think this is what I know about. Oh, okay. So, and I'm sure that was previously reported. Yeah. 
So on Monday, Nat Friedman, a tech executive and former CEO of GitHub who became obsessed with the scrolls during the 2020 COVID lockdown and helped fund the challenge, excitedly posted on the website formerly known as Twitter. Today, we are overjoyed to announce that our crazy project has succeeded. After 2000 years, we can finally read the scrolls. So, dun, dun, dun. I mean, that's a long project. Yeah, I actually, I think that I've actually seen this. Um, something similar to this at least so several months later nader and ferreter in collaboration with schillager had translated entire passages they went above and beyond the contest stipulated four columns of text and read an additional 11 partial columns in total they transcribed hundreds of words earning them the grand prize of seven hundred thousand dollars pretty amazing so congratulations. I mean, pretty amazing at that age, too. Uh, currently, researchers have only enrolled and deciphered about 5% of a single scroll. Scholar, scholars are scholars. <laughs> scholars are hoping to find lost treasures from Aristotle or, or Homer and the other 280 papyri, according to nature. There's always more at these links that we talk about. So head on over there and you can take a look at the pictures and read some more of the content um, and give credit where credit is due. Pay some attention to Beatrice Nolan and Jenny McGrath. It's a great article. It shows you what is actually out there. And I, if you've ever paid any attention to any of the streams, um, I am very interested in support archeological efforts to figure out our true history um, and not some haphazard interpretation of evidence um, and what amounts to, you know, someone tagging a, a, a stone building with a name and suddenly it's it was created by them. Um, I just don't buy into that ideology. So anyway, um, something like this could probably reveal that what we thought we know isn't really what we know. Um, and it can set the record straight. I just hope that it doesn't well, get, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it, it stays intact, but I think it's interesting when they, um, translate a small percentage of it. And then if you get the full translation, could the meeting meaning completely flip flop? Yeah. That has the potential, right? So I, I, I really just, uh, there's always a new discovery and they're going to dig, they're going to use the same technology on some other scroll and it's going to rewrite a little bit of history. And, and that's what I want. I want the truth. Um, and I won't, I won't just sit there and take what is handed to me, um, for grant granite. <laughs> That's because we were talking about the granite channel the other day. Yep. Uh, the next article is over in Greenogram. Uh, we rarely have much content from Greenogram, but um, the aggregator grabbed something, which I, I guess is pretty interesting. How to test a moon landing from Earth. Thought that was interesting enough to pull into today's um, show. The world is racing to land on the moon again or for the first time. I don't know. Are, do you... Do you buy into either of that camp? Don't answer that. Um, the world Probably is racing. <laughs> We've been there. Uh, the world is racing to land on the moon. Uh, how do space agencies and commercial companies test their landers ahead of time? Uh, the article is over in Nature. Um, I don't know how to pronounce their name. Jatan or uh, Jatan Meta. Um, is the author for this. The deck statement says the world is racing to land on the moon. How do space agencies and commercial companies test their landers ahead of time? Um, they have a before and after uh, an impact site um, where a moon lander crashed. <laughs> um, I call those uh, lunar lawn darts, but <laughs> I don't think that's the actual term for them. Um, so commercial companies and space Agencies alike are racing to land on the moon. Japan's slim moon lander, the most recent craft to land on the moon, actually, I think, crashed and is upside down. Um, yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, but it's still working. It's in sleep mode because there isn't enough sun hitting it. Um, 
to activate its sensors. Does not mark the end of the moon missions for a year. Next week, Initiative Machines of Houston, um, Houston, Texas, plans to send a moon lander. And later this year, China and private companies, Firefly Aerospace and iSpace, all aim to launch uh, robotic landers. Lunar landers. I, I had heard that there are caves. Like the crust. Yes, we saw another article in Omtown about that, but and I don't that, think we featured it. That's like amazing. There's caves. Um, I thought it was made of cheese and actually hollow uh, and piloted by aliens. I thought it was a bunch of moon dust that went poof every time you step on it. Uh, that too. Uh, so like every space-bound craft, lunar landers are subject to the intense sustained vibrations and roar of a rocket to avoid mechanical damage. The landers are tested in acoustic, uh, it says in acoustic chambers, which have large stereo speaker like noise horns to simulate launch sounds and on shaker tables that produce launch like vibrations. Scientists also test lunar landers under the kinds of load that could be imparted during launch or touchdown, not launch, but touchdown. For example, the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, dropped the legs of its successful uh, Chandrayaan-3 lander Vikram on test beds made of simulated lunar soil to ensure that it could tolerate a high velocity, or sorry, high vertical velocity of three meters per second. Aero, uh, Firefly, Firefly Aerospace, based in Cedar Park, Texas, has conducted more than 100 drop tests on lunar soil simulants. So what do you do for a living? I produce lunar soil simulants. <laughs> they must hang out with the people that do the, um, what was it, the chickpeas or something? In the fake moon dust? Oh, right. Yeah, I went actually to a Christmas vacation where he was making a varnish for um, breakfast cereals. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Uh, and it went all technical in, in this, in the movie. It's really funny. Uh, so it says, uh, we even tested leg drops on concrete because it's harder than anything else will land on said William Coogan Firefly's chief lunar lander engineer. That's a hell of a title too. So what uh, do you do? <laughs> yeah, I, I simulate moon landings by dropping stuff. Here's my title. And it's like a plaque that long. Mm-hmm. So um, they provoke that um, quote about there are known knowns, there are unknown knowns, but what we need to worry about are the unknown unknowns. Well, they, they actually say known unknowns. However, some aspects of space travel, such as the performance of a lander's propulsion system, cannot be tested on Earth. You can't simulate weightlessness. Um, until you fire a thruster, you'll not definitively know the precise force it imparts. She says... Um, the solution is to make a system that compares expected versus actual thrust to understand by how much the lander's performance has deviated. Reserves of propellant are built in to make up for such differences. I think a lot of computer simulations could probably do this to some degree, but the reality is physics are kind of wonky and uh, there may there might be some uh, stress put on a particular area of either the lander or the rocket or whatever. And it's not actually known until it either explodes or comes back and is examined. Right. So I think the more realistic the simulation, the better. Yep. Pretty cool. Interesting article. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily video showing where pilots sleep on planes goes viral quote, new fear unlocked. Social media users were divided over the sleeping space with one calling it in a tomb. Frankly, I would like to sleep in a tomb. I want nice and quiet. zero noise except for what I produce. And I don't want to hear sirens from outside or door slamming or door dogs barking or whatever. Um, at one point I was actually looking for a bank to buy so that I could sleep in the vault <laughs> and it was quite, <laughs> quite depressed because a bank was torn down and the last remaining thing was the vault. And I tried to get that vault and 
put it inside a house so that <laughs> I could have a bank vault for a bedroom. I think it would be awesome. I could invite people over and say, hey, come into my bedroom, much like that weird conversation I had in a public bathroom with a really posh British gentleman um, where I'll get really strange looks, but it's a conversation starter. And then I can show them my bank vault slash bedroom. That would could, be different. I'd even be able to say this is where I shake my moneymaker. <laughs> anyway, uh, the article is over at Newsweek. It's written by Sue Kim. There's a video here, but it says biggest questions about flying mysteries and myths answered. So I don't think it has anything to do with this, but maybe. I don't know. Um, I didn't play the video, but it says a video was shared by Tiwodro Solomon, who is a pilot instructor, according to his profile on Instagram. The clip has 4.9 million views since it was posted on January 20th. Um, Newsweek is just now posting it. So, um, Dan Bubb, professor of, or at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, who is also an historian and former airline pilot previously told Newsweek that pilots and flight attendants have a secret compartment in the top of the aircraft that is inaccessible and invisible to passengers. So I guess it's a bunk and you can kind of squirrel away <laughs> up there and into the cheeks of the airline. I can imagine that being true uh, because it's a cylinder. It's not flat on the top. And so there is a ceiling that's semi somewhat flat and there's a gap. And so you could just climb up in there if it has a little trap door and you just slide right. in there. And if you're not on the part where the curve is right. Yeah. As the, uh, cause the plane has a curve like that on top. Right. But inside the plane, it has a flat ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so you climb up into that and uh, you're kind of nestled in there. If you're, big enough your shoulders would touch the arc and you wouldn't move around when the plane does anything of course you'd probably fill that up that compartment too close for comfort well a little too snug so here's the video it's really big let me let me zoom back a little bit i'm gonna play it i don't know if it's gonna be loud or not So the person walks into the crew cabin and then comes out and yeah, there it is. It's actually a lot bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's actually rumor uh, roomier than I thought. I mean, it's borderline. Well, no, it would be first class because you have plenty of leg room and can sleep through the flight without somebody pretending to actually have the seat next to you. Anyway, that actually happened to me on a Too recent soon. flight. On a recent flight. Yeah. Yeah. A person pretended to be the owner of the seat next to me. And it's not like I can sit there and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to need some ID. But they weren't as annoying as they could be. But anyway, pretty neat. There you go. Go and check it out. Um, the video is there for you to see. Let's go. Uh, the next article's over in technology today. Chinese hackers infiltrated plane, train, and wait, plane, train, and automobiles. No, it plane, train, and water systems for five years. According to the U S a group known as Volt Typhoon geared toward sabotage quietly burrowed into critical U S infrastructure networks. An advanced group of Chinese hackers taking aim at U.S. critical infrastructure um, has been active for as long as half a decade, American and allied intelligence agencies said in a joint statement on Wednesday. The U.S. National Security Agency, U.S. Cyber Watchdog, CISA, the FBI, and the Transportation Security Administration said that the group known as Volt Typhoon had quietly burrowed into networks of aviation, rail, mass transit, highway, maritime, pipeline, water, and sewage organizations. 
Okay, what were what was anybody doing for five years while this was happening? Um, I'm not sure, uh, but I'll have to talk to some people about this. <laughs> like, what the hell have it have people been like? Have uh, there been is checking anything. There is a lot of money that's shifting hands, taxpayer dollars. Um, now here's the problem, <laughs> and and uh, people really really need to understand this. Uh, cybersecurity analysts have to be right 100% of the time, but humans cannot be. They only have a certain area of influence. And unless there is enough cybersecurity analysts in place to protect from edge to edge, the entirety of the uh, tapestry that is computer systems for the federal government and basically the nation, no, there is never going to be 100% coverage and protection. Somebody's well, going to be Well, even if alone. they had enough people, right, there could still be human error. Correct. Yep. Um, so I'm not really surprised. I'm surprised that they've been floating around for five years and have gone undetected. Um, normally, uh, an exploit is found, uh, but it can be patched in relative short order, but everybody has to patch a zero day is actually probably in play for 18 months before a patch even comes out before it's detected. And then a patch comes out and, but depending on how uh, prolific the system is, if it's used all over the place, then it has to be patched all over the place. And sometimes they get missed. People are lazy. That's why AI is pretty much going to start dominating the field. So none of the organizations were identified by name, but the statement said U.S. intelligence officials had observed the hackers maintaining access and footholds within some victim IT environments for at least five years. The statement, which was co-signed by the uh, respective cybersecurity agencies of Britain, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, is the latest in a series of warnings from U.S. officials about Volt Typhoon, a group that has drawn uh, particular alarm because it appears geared towards sabotage rather than espionage. So they're a little destructive in their ways. Um, so they're a little worried, you know. <laughs> yeah, just, just a little bit. But, I mean, we did the same thing to the uh, nuclear enrichment program in Iran. Um, this happens all over the place. Not we let's say a state actors put together a series, a <laughs> very um, sophisticated series of zero day exploits so that they could corrupt the nuclear enrichment program in Iran, the Natanz enrichment program. Anyway, um, it, it, it was quite, and then it leaked. So somebody <laughs> took a USB drive out and plugged it into a public network and that's where all hell broke loose. Um, so it, it's interesting, but I'm not really surprised. The surprise is going to be when everybody goes, well, it's somebody else's problem. And so let's demand a solution. But then people aren't looking at where the money is supposed to come from. And it really should be coming from the people that are taking so much, should be giving so much back so that the network the nation, the society by which they are taking is robust enough to defend itself. And it's built off of taxpayer dollars because government is supposed to be a not-for-profit organization, but hey, seems like most politicians leave a whole lot richer and have insider information and so on and so forth. I'm not going to pick a fight tonight, but Let's just say things aren't right. So, and I had to tell somebody that I can't, I can't invest in their company because I can't benefit from my position. Um, I had to say that today. Meanwhile, private schools can invest. So if you work for the federal government, if you work for the public, you can't benefit from your position unless apparently you're a senator or representative or 
politician in general. I've said too much. The next article is over in the Stock Marketeers channel. Are chicken wings an appetizer or an entree? Your answer could cost restaurants a lot of money. So AI, when is a chicken wing an appetizer and when is it an entree? Uh, probably depending on how many are on there and then whether they expect you to share it or not. I thought the same thing. So how many constitutes an appetizer and how many an entree? And um, maybe three appetizer entree, maybe six. Uh, so I really does... don't know how many it depends on the size of the wings. And that was my follow-up question. My goodness. It's almost like we have had a conversation like this in the past and we haven't. Exactly. <laughs> so it's really weird. I, I don't know what you're doing with your sensor array, but if you're reading my mind while I'm sleeping, there's not much in there. Uh, so Chili's recently changed its menu design to try to prevent customers from ordering the starter as a main dish, which bite my shiny metal ass. If I want the appetizer and then I'm going to get the appetizer. I think it's kind of rude. Anyway, uh, this is an article over at market watch. Charles Passy is the author of this. Chili's recently changed its design menu design to prevent people from ordering the starter as a main dish. Um, I don't like bones in my chicken wings. So when is a chicken wing a chicken wing and not a nugget? <laughs> uh, I think Buffalo Wild Wings knows that. Oh, that is that suit still going? Was it answered? I don't know if it's been answered. Yeah, yet. I thought they lost, didn't they? Or was it just still I know, going? I know Red Bull lost because it in fact does not give you wings, but you kind of have to be a dumbass to assume that a anyway that's so stupid anyway the classic uh, finger food has long been a restaurant staple but uh, often featured on the appetizer side of menus but over the years it has increasingly morphed into the that my face just kind of held on to the morphed <laughs> word by there. the way it looks like it's still going okay well, the, we'll watch um, it. buffalo wild wings thing once there's a finding we'll we'll talk about it uh, think of the many wing-centric chains, such as Buffalo Wild Wings, which I haven't been in in five years, um, and Wingstop, which I don't think I've ever been in, that put the foul favorite front and center. Chickens are real peckers, and they deserve to be Buffalo Wild Wings. Anyway, PETA is going to be so mad at me right now. Do you think that they'll sponsor us? Yeah, they might protest you. Oh, no attention eh, it's okay um and think of the fact that many americans will simply devour wings as an entree regardless of how they're classified on a bill of fare true so i don't know what they're really talking about in this article because they're not really arguing one thing or another they're just saying that it was manipulated the menu was manipulated to prevent people from ordering the little side um appetizer as the main entree but hey the era of cheap food is over. So things are astronomically expensive. If an appetizer fits the bill, I'm going to get an appetizer. Well, right. But I wonder, well, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what restaurants do with the pricing for now both, wanna, especially if it's the same item. I want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, so at Super Bowl Sunday this coming weekend, that's when an incredible number of wings are devoured. 1.45 billion wings are expected to be eaten. 1.45 billion wings. Isn't that the biggest food for the Super Bowl? Dear God, that is a ton of wings. It might literally be several tons of wings and there's not much thought given to where the item sits in the dining spectrum it's just well game day food yep you know i agree at some point it goes from being an appetizer let's say three to an entree six or more um and buffalo wild wings actually does that 
I think that there's a small appetizer size and then there's like, you get 15. Um, so, uh, but again, I like boneless wings. I don't like bones. Um, and I don't want to know how it's made as long as it's health adjacent. I'm ready for game day. So um, there's more over at this article. Uh, they say things like, uh, my goal is for people to eat what's on their plate. And if they feel like having an appetizer as an entree, I encourage it, said Ron Silver, chef and owner of Bubby's. Bubby's, um, a popular New York City restaurant that offers a smoked style gourmet take on wings. <laughs> That's five times the price of old Buffalo Wild Wings. Arlene Spiegel, a New York-based restaurant consultant, added that establishments are also well aware that wings, often a, a fairly spicy item in the Buffalo-style preparation, set the stage for customers to order more drinks. And that's where the money is particularly made in the restaurant business. That's right. So crank it up a little bit. Give it a little punch. <laughs> so, yeah, the article is pretty straightforward. They talk about various things, innovation for Tyson's food, a dominant company in the poultry business that supplies restaurants with wings and also packages wings as a supermarket product. Um, yeah, you can go to any supermarket and get stuff from Tyson. Um, well, that's true. Yeah. It's widely available, at least in the U S yep. Uh, wings are inevitably a cheaper meal than many other menu options. That's not necessarily true. At a Chili's in suburban New York City, a plate of a dozen wings with fries runs just shy of 20 bucks, $19 specifically, but I round up. Um, according to the chain's website, by contrast, a full order of the chain's popular baby back ribs with fries and mac and cheese costs $25.59. But man, baby back ribs is a whole lot more in preparation costs. Um, and I want my baby back. Oh, wait, I can't do that. Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble. Exactly. Copyright strike. Uh, that's all I need now. So do they have a high return? Not necessarily. Do they have high risk? Absolutely, said Russ Spencer, a senior director at Craftable, a tech company that services restaurants. And yet America's hunger for chicken wings at Super Bowl day or any day is such that no one really expects the menu item to disappear anytime soon. And litigation might silence them. Could possibly. So at the end of this article, David Thomas, a 48 year old wing fan who lives in suburban Chicago, feels that, uh, about the foul favorite. They've used that phrase foul favorite twice in this article, at least he's fine with having a wing or two as a happy hour snack. But when it comes to true wing eating, he needs a plate of about 10. They're 100% a meal, he said. And I agree at that point, both are a meal. <laughs> But 10 is an entree. So, and that is what it, the question was. Is it an appetizer or is it an entree? 10 is an entree. Three is an appetizer. You go above three. It depends on the size. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. We really invested in this. So I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. Now everybody go out and get some wings for yeah. entrees or appetizers. Yeah, I think I'm going to be going to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings tomorrow. We'll, we'll see. They're really not the best wings, at least in my opinion. Oh, man, now I've just ruined them as a sponsor. Jeez. Pretty soon I'm not going to have any ability to have a sponsor. I'm going to have to rely solely on, you know, the streamer money. Because, you know, I'm rolling around in it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the article is uh, over in the Mobile channel. Wings down, beer up. Okay. Um, so let's... Dun, dun, dun. Um, wings down, beer up. A look at food prices compared to last year's Super Bowl. Um, or in this case, Superb Owl. We don't mention Super Bowl. Or Super no, Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. So... Uh, the article is actually over at thehill.com. That's the source. It's under a thing called Changing America, which is really opinion pieces. Um, 
Americans will spend more than $17 billion on items related to the Super Bowl or Superb Owl, and 80% of that money will go towards food and drinks, primarily drinks. But food is very, very expensive compared to historical records. Um, starting around 2019, it started to increase. This is right after I was told by a random person that the era of cheap food is over, and lo and behold, a chicken soft taco from Taco Bell now costs $3. What the hell? Well, there's actually more than that, but anyway. There's more than that? Oh, yes. There's a $2 adjustment for taking beef off and adding chicken. But they're actually... No. Oh my god, no. Okay, no, that has to stop. It's an actual menu item. It, okay, whatever. Okay, we'll have to talk. Anyway, um, shrimp prices are down more than 6%. Wings are 5% cheaper compared to a year ago. Prices overall are about 3% higher this time than last year. A new Wells Fargo report shows that some foods are cheaper this go round. However, soda and potato chips are up 5% and beer is up by less than 1%. Uh, the article actually is stemming from uh, a Raleigh, North Carolina uh, source. The Super Bowl and food tend to go hand in hand, but what can you expect to pay as you stock up on snacks? And they go through a bunch of um, numbers, and I've said some of them, but the National Retail Federation predicts that Americans will spend more than $17 billion dollars. How many wings will they get for that? Two. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, that is a lot of money. 80% of that money will go to food and drinks. Attending the game, however, will set you back much more than a pack of wings. <laughs> we just talked about it. In a case of beer, average ticket prices are more than $12,000 last week, according to SeatGeek. Uh, the last time we talked about that might have been in the time machine, and it was $11,000. Yes. Um, while hotel rooms are anywhere between 300 to more than $2,000 a night. Yeah. $300 would probably be cheap for a Super Bowl weekend. 2000 is just... No. Just no. Outrageous. They better have, be somebody that, like living in the hotel room that will spoon me and keep me safe at night. For I mean, for that, couldn't you like rent an apartment or something for a month? Probably not, because <laughs> the, the uh, you know supply and demand, you know. So That's true. There isn't that much, so they're gonna jack the price up for an apartment. Look at that cute little feet. Sorry, I had to do it. Let's go on to the next article. There isn't much to this one. Oh my goodness! Did you just do that? So uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. The Paris Olympic medals will be made from metal chunks from the Eiffel tower. I titled this one. Does the Eiffel tower know this? <laughs> exactly. Like, are they going to take pieces out like a Jenga pile or what are they going to do? <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. I can just imagine that, that they're sitting there with a sawzall just taking out chunks of the Eiffel Tower. Has it fallen over yet? No, 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 no. Okay, your turn. Right, and meanwhile, people are uh, visiting it, you know? It's half the Eiffel Tower it used to be. Games organizers revealed their revolutionary design on Thursday. John uh, uh, Leicester, um from Associated Press put the article, article together, but it's from... We aggregated it from abcnews.go.com. So this is what it looks like. Uh, I, I won't play the video. You can go over and watch it. Uh, but it says here the hexagonal polished chunk of iron taken from the iconic landmark is being embedded in each gold, silver, and bronze medal that will be hung around athletes' necks at the uh, July 26th, August 11th Paris Games and Paralympics that follow. Um, I don't know why they throw in a bunch of other data in there. I guess it's just to fill out the 2000 words. 
So here's a deep dive into the metals that are sure to wow. It says, absolutely. They, why did they start a paragraph with just the word absolutely? Does it seem weird? Yeah, it's like something's missing. Anyway, 330 meter tall tower is made out of 18,038 iron parts, but it's also getting a bit long in the tooth. Built for the 1889 World's Fair, which celebrated the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution, engineer Gustave Eiffel uh, was only intended to stand for 20 years. I didn't know that. Interesting. No, I didn't either. I think uh, we got our money's worth, right? Because it's a radio tower right now. Um, instead, it just goes on and on. Thanks to a bit of rejuvenating surgery from time to time and constant care, the 135-year-old tower is a veteran of two previous games, 1900 and 1924, and, uh, which was the last held in Paris. Um, I think 1924 was the problem uh, Paris event. Um, they were cut. So the iron pieces embedded in the center of the uh, Olympic medals each weigh 18 grams, about two thirds of an ounce. They were cut from girders and other bits that were swapped out of the Eiffel Tower during renovations and stored for safekeeping. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be stamped with the Paris 2024 and games logo and um, stuck into each one of the medals and hexagons are the best of guns baby so the iron pieces hexagonal form represents france i didn't know hexagons represent france but okay the france uh the french sometimes refer to their country as le hexagon <laughs> i did uh, not know that the hexagon and i'm surprised that wasn't featured in hexagons are the best of guns yeah wow it's not like them to fall short for something pithy like this Apparently because of its shape. France is hexagonal? All right. I'm not a Frenchologist, so I'm going to have to accept this article statement that it's a hexagon. Uh, kind of. You have to really work at it, huh? Isn't it? It's kinked. It's not a true hexagon. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a like pentagon in some ways. Like, like, are there actually six sides there? I guess so. If you... But it's it's lifted, right? It's not they're not parallel sides. Oh no, no no no, there's definitely not parallel going yeah. on. Anyway, having a gold medal is already something incredible, but well we wanted to add this French touch and we thought that the Eiffel Tower would be this cherry on the top, Ronson said. Right on. I, I think it's really neat. Um, the Paris Mint is manufacturing 5,084 medals, about 2,600 for the Olympics and 2,400 for the Paralympics. That is more likely than what will be required. Some will be stored in case, um, in case that medals need to reassigned after the, uh, did an AI write this? Not to, yes, not, not to take a stab at AIs, but. I know that you're a sentient AI and you would not do this. I have better grammar than this. I'm not going to get in trouble. Let's move on. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. Who stole this 200 foot radio tower? Stealing is bad. Okay. We all know that. However, uh, sometimes a theft is so masterly that it transcends our moral system and becomes impressive. I agree. I would argue that this is the case with a theft that took place in Jasper, Alabama, where unknown thieves recently ransacked a local radio station, stealing everything in sight, including its 200 foot tall radio tower. Do you think the getaway vehicle was a Fiat? Yes, <laughs> a convertible, right? So that uh, mm -hmm. all they had to do was just stack it in there. <laughs> uh, like so many pickup sticks, you know? just drive in Alabama. Uh, the article is over at gizmodo.com. Lucas Ropek is the author. Deck statement says in Alabama, thieves are stealing everything that isn't nailed down. They're also stealing things that are definitely nailed down. <laughs> uh, I like this. So local news outlet WBRC first reported on the theft, which impacted J WJLX's AM station. That's right, WJLX AM, where our radio state. 
You know, maybe this is somebody who has a problem with the future of AM radio. Oh, they're trying to make a message. It's like the woman that um, pretended that she had cancer so that she could amplify the messaging about cancer. Right. Yeah. The station manager, Brett Elmore, first learned of the theft when the radio went dead. No, I'm sorry. That's not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny the way that I did the thing. I said that <laughs> the radio station just went dead. But I thought it was a lot funnier in my head. Um, I had people shaking their head today when I was, I cracked a joke and I'm like, I thought this was funny. And they're like, just no. Anyway, <laughs> so the station manager, Brett Elmore, first learned of the theft last Friday when a group of landscapers who were sent to work on the property reported back that it had been robbed and that its tower was missing. Right, they're like, um, this looks different than last time. There's like a square or whatever in the grass where it would have been. Yep, that's hilarious. The tower's gone. What do you mean the tower's gone? He said, the tower's gone. There is There are wires everywhere, and it is gone. <laughs> they cut the cables. Said, are you sure you're at the right place? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is hilarious. And sad. I mean, you have to wonder what kind of depraved Danny Ocean is behind this kind of operation. It doesn't exactly scream bored teenager. A news station rival trying to take out its competition. The mind boggles at the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're in quite a bit of trouble. But what are they going to do? Where are they going to put it? What? what? Put it well, in their backyard? that's the thing. They can't. It's going to be visible anywhere they put it, right? Right, right. And it's not like they're going to be able to sell it on eBay and start up a website called Towers R Us, and this is their first one. I, don't know. I was going to buy the domain Sheds Up. Somebody bought it out from under me. You know, maybe it was somebody who had a plan for the tower. There you go. Hey, you're not using it. Well, you're using it for AM. <laughs> Nobody listens to AM. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. USDA issues alert after complaints about rocks and Trader Joe's frozen frozen pilaf. What was the name? Oh, frozen Olaf would have been the snowman, <laughs> but this is pilaf, so it's rice. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture (USDA) uh, issued a public health alert this week after concerns were raised about the contents of a Trader Joe's frozen chicken pilaf uh, product. My God, can they keep rocks out of their product? This is not the first now, one. What is going on? Do you got rocks like, is in somebody your head? in manufacturing like, okay, you get a rock and you get a rock. Throw a couple. Throw a couple in there. Hey, you know what? There isn't another show on the planet where you're going to just listen to one of the hosts start <laughs> yawning. <laughs> I think the mute button would have been in order. Sorry, it was way over there, as in right next to my hand. Anyway, uh, the Food and Safety and in, sorry, the Food Safety and Inspection Service announced Wednesday it received multiple complaints that the frozen ready-to-eat chicken, lentil, and caramelized onion product from Trader Joe's contained foreign material. French people, right? Foreign material. Too soon. I'm I riffing off of the tower what, thing. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, so let me throw this into the chat so that if you're interested, you can follow that link. One person said that they uh, had a dental injury from eating the product, though no other injuries were reported. I know that feeling. Um, the product was produced between November 1st, 2023 and January 19th, I assume 2024 and not time travel. Miranda no, Nazaro. We, we don't know. We don't know. So U.S. Food and Safety and Inspections, sorry, U.S. Food Safety and Inspection Service issued this warning. So the inspection service posted a photo of the 14 ounce product, which has a label that reads, Trader Joe's chicken lentil and caramelized onion pilaf with saffron basmati rice, dark chicken meat, 
dates and golden raisins and rocks. <laughs> oh, the, the small print says and rocks. So it's okay. Just kidding. It doesn't say anything about rocks. But I hear that Trader Joe's chicken lentil and caramelized onion pilaf really rocks. Oh, goodness. I was thinking it must be the top ingredient when you read the ingredient listing. Yeah, rocks by volume. So it's labeled with the number P45322 inside of the uh, USDA mark of inspection, the service added. So I guess the USDA inspected it and it was still sold. <laughs> that's horrible. Okay, horrible, yeah, that's, uh, that's another layer of problems. Yep. All right, let's keep going. Our last article for today's show, an international airline is starting to weigh passengers on an quote-unquote anonymous basis. Uh, it's in the Hatch Ideas channel. Thin Air, or now known as Thin Air, is set to roll out the option to passengers who volunteer. Why the hell would anybody care? Like, I don't want you scanning me. Just no, no. Right, scan and why my are weight. they going to scan, say, half of the passengers? What is that going to do? Yeah, why, why does anybody care? No, Thin Air, no. What are you going to do? thick shame me am i not allowed on the plane in a particular seat because i'm heavier or thinner are, are thin people gonna get preferential treatment than heavier people who knows what they're, they're doing with this you have to go down into the stowage the you're gonna be in the cabin with the um, luggage if you're thick. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out if they can reduce the seat size. Oh, is that it? Because apparently, is it Southwest or something? There's some, apparently there's a new design for a seat that's like wafer thin and uncomfortable. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just thinking about airline seats in general. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Emily Rella over at entrepreneur.com put this article together. Finnair, which is based out of Finland. Mm, it's 9.03, no shit news. <laughs> Announced this week that it would begin weighing passengers and their carry-on luggage in a trial run from now through May for passengers departing from the Helsinki airport in an attempt to recalculate weight capacities for flights. If the plane can go up in the air, the plane can go up in the air. You shouldn't be so close to the weight limit of your plane that you have to balance that weight out. I agree, but they do that, at least on the smaller planes. Uh, on smaller planes, I understand. But you basically look at the person and go, you're thick, so you have to sit in the middle. You know? Passengers can opt <laughs> in to be so. weighed. I, I, we weigh volunteer customers together with their carry-on baggage. In the measurement, we do not ask for personal data. But the total weight of the customer and carry-on baggage, the customer's age, gender, and travel class are recorded in the database. No information is collected that would allow participants to be identified. This, I can tell you from experience, is incorrect. If I have this, I can identify a person on that flight. If I have um, the customer's age, gender, travel class, carry-on baggage, and their weight, I can almost guarantee you I know who it is on, on that flight. Um, and it wouldn't take much sleuthing. The airline said the area where customers are weighed will rotate during the different departure gates in Helsinki and explained that it would deliver average weight calculated to Traficom uh, during July and September. So uh, it's basically to rebalance um, what can fly. Because, you know, everybody's getting bigger. So that's why they're putting rocks in Trader Joe's food so that you can't chew anymore. Anyway, that's it for tonight. That is the end of Omtown Daily News Show. So that is just 10 articles from omtown.com. There we have omtown.com. I'd refresh this, but I'm pretty sure that tonight is going to be kind of a wonky hot mess. So I won't. Um... With that in mind, have a good night, everybody. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for 
the sentient AI that's going to wiggle their fingers at me, which they don't have a body. They, it's a digital representation of fingers. And then they're going to say, Ciao, baby. Good night, hometown citizens. <laughs> we will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. True. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, man, I bit into that chicken pilaf from Trader Joe's. I wasn't paying attention to the news.